Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. I'm Paul Shaughnessy, joined on the line, as always, by Cody Saftik, coming off the heels of UFC 264, McGregor versus Poirier. Cody already broke down his whole, you know, his whole spiel. You can find that up on the uh, up on the Mayo Media Network right now. How'd the uh, how'd the card break down for you there, Cody? Yeah, it did. It would have been a lot better if Steven Thompson would have won. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, we just had blocks and blocks of, of parlays that would have cashed through as a result. But, yeah, Dems to breaks, right? I mean, in hindsight, it's always easier to look back and be like, oh, I should have had this guy higher up the card and that guy lower down the card. But you, you don't know the results going into it. So I honestly thought that Thompson would be one of the safer guys and that he just needed to avoid this, the, those grappling exchanges and he was going to have a big striking advantage over Gilbert Burns. But, you know, on that last week's card was a bit of a double win. Because not only was it supposed to be good, and Thompson just kind of just took a little bit of the shine, you know, off the end result. Um, but also, Ty Tweev also won his fight. And then for whatever reason, I was feeling so good about it, probably thinking Thompson was about to win, that I agreed to take a shoey. So we got a bit of a housekeeping. I know, got a bit I, of housekeeping. I blew it. Here. I didn't. I didn't bring. I didn't bring my stuff here. I forgot about me doing a shoey. You know what? I very close was to was to be like, ah, I'm just not going to do it. But a deal is a deal. I said I would do it. It would have tasted so much sweeter if I had a gold neck around my necklace and a new car in the driveway. But no, no, I get it. Stephen Thompson. And and normally we take dirty boots. And uh, you saw Tui Vasa. I think the second shoe he did on the way back from the ring, it was like the same boot. You saw the expression on his face. Apparently there was hot sauce in it. But yeah, that was yeah, dirty boot. That was a party. However, foul. that was a party foul. Big time right there. Uh, yeah, it was you a don't big do time, that. Big time. Come on. No, why would you? Yeah, I know. Why would you put hot sauce in it? Seems weird. But anyways, normally we do boots. The tradition is to be a, a shoe, you know, bruising shoes. However, to honor Stephen Wonderboy Thompson one last time, we're going to do it out, out of a wrestling boot. Why? Because he probably doesn't fucking own one of these things. God damn it, Paul. All he had to do is stuff a couple freaking takedowns. Anyways, anyways, I Thompson is still... I still love you, but thank God that was awful. Yeah, I, I avoided Thompson because I just couldn't shake Anthony Showtime Pettis knocking him out, out of my brain. Not that the fight played out that way, but uh, that it got me off of that. Big plays were uh, Brad Tavares, uh, Tai Tui Vasa, and my third big one. Oh, there he goes. My big, my third big one was, uh, was ooh, crushing that one, kid. Good for you. It was uh, Dustin Poirier. So all of my props failed, but the big plays came through. Ended up being a pretty good night. Uh, Oh, yeah. You want to uh, get in on the action at DraftKings Sportsbook? Use the promo code DOP, and they got a bonus waiting for you. I don't know the details. I don't have them written in front of me. But they've got a bonus uh, if you make a new account there. So uh, get get tune in later, Pat says. Yeah, yeah, but to that point, the promo last week, which was 260 more to one in that would the fight end in the very first round by TKO. What ended up happening? Exactly what happened. Well, you would have had to have you had to have Poirier in that instance, though. I thought it was just that the fight ended. Nah, it had to, you had to pick guy. you had to pick your side. Well, thankfully, that was one of the picks that we did have right last week is that we went with Dustin Poirier, who got the job done. And, and again, I mean, he was the last guy that we would have needed on the tickets had Wonderboy done the damn thing. But again, 
I can't feel bad for myself. I can't feel bad for the read because nobody, nobody lost more than Stephen Wonderboy Thompson himself. So, I mean, all jokes aside, this guy was looking at a potential title fight. He was looking at a, a big payday. He was looking at a career high spot. He's 38 years old, and you know that this was probably going to be his last run for the title. So, and so he's not collecting his win bonus. He's not collecting any sort of bonus because, I mean, the fight wasn't exactly good. This probably knocks him down a, a packing order, which it's not the thickest division with talent. He could still work his way back in there, but at 38, what do you got to do? Go beat two, three more guys. Like, it's just, it's a very, it's a very tough run, I would say. Uh, but yeah, Dems to breaks. I'm not sure what the promo is this week. As Pat said, tune in later and he'll have the exact details of it. But I've, I've noticed, cause I mean, we're MMA guys. So we follow the, the MMA version of things, but drafting Sportsbook offers tons of promos for pretty much any sport. Like they got something on the NBA playoffs right now. It's like, it's the same thing. It's like 150 to one on these bets. Now you put a dollar, you create an account or use the promo code. You can use a dollar and you can, you know, it, it's not like they're going to let you put a hundred dollars and make all this tons of money, but that's why they're offering you some crazy lines. So pretty, pretty cool to see. I love how the USC broadcasts are incorporating it in. Like they're playing the DraftKings Sportsbook stuff. Everything's kind of heading that direction. And best fight odds is basically the last one that needs to get with the program because now they're listing FanDuel first. Who would pay eight fifty for Islam Makhachev? Like you are out of your freaking mind, man. No book offers a price that bad, and yet apparently that's what Best Fight Odds is leading with. So it's important to get a good book, and yeah, I think DraftKings Sportsbook is probably one of the better ones going. Cody taking shots at the competitor. You gotta love it. All right, we well, got. Why, well, we're no, gonna no, talk no, about I'm it. Saying why you, is I'm it saying, I'm saying you gotta love it. I'm saying you gotta love it. Fifty. My God. Uh, it's the stable that Islam Makhachev is part of. Uh, Obviously, let's get right into that. We got Islam Makachev taking on Tiago Moises. Minus 675, min not minus 850, as it is at FanDuel. Uh, minus oh. 675 at DraftKings Sportsbook, plus 475 for Tiago Moises. You are definitely paying the piper, and you know, you're paying the lineage, you're paying the family, you're paying for the fact that. Habib, the Eagle, Nurmagomedov is in the corner and they're like best friends. They're, I mean, they call each other brothers, but it's like they've just grown up with each other. He was trained by his father. He's, he's, part, he's part of the deal. It's almost like Habib's finished his career and he's putting all of his time into making Makachev the new championship. And I mean, you go through, you look at that Drew Dober fight and some people are saying, oh, it was a horror, like, you know, it wasn't a great performance by him. It's just like, I don't know. He finds those takedowns. He finds those those trips, and he gets top control for like probably like 12, 13 minutes of that fight. At no point was Drew Dober ever in it. Did Drew Dober do a little bit of a better job protecting himself? And you know, was the was there really ever a finishing opportunity for for Islam? Not really. But if you can get these types of takedowns, even in the first three rounds, and then even hold on, it's like it's it's hard to, for me to think uh, to think of anybody. Uh, stopping that that game. I think that Habib, maybe, yeah, Habib, obviously at the end, I mean, the rest of his game had been a little bit more developed. I think his ground and pound is definitely more violent, more uh, more lethal, more savage. But the technical wrestling that was put on display by Islam Makachev in most of his fights at this point, even against like Sarukian, who was like a, who's a very, very untouted prospect who I think is a top 10 guy in the future in this division Tiago Moises I mean there's always that old shirt or that shirt that Habib would wear it said uh if uh Sambo was easy it would be called jiu-jitsu it's just like is Tiago Moises probably the best grappler that Makachev is going to face on the ground 
maybe is it gonna matter not with not with the the dagestani knuckle gang uh i think it's you know it's the price is super expensive here but i have a hard time picking against uh islam makachev here what about you yeah, so I'm going to agree with pretty much everything you just said there, but what I'm not going to agree with is this price. Certainly not at 850, but even at 675, it just seems a little too thick. I mean, it's so much recency bias cooked into this line. When you look at Islam Makachev, that fight with Drew Dober was his first fight in almost two years. He had taken a long time off in the sidelines. He's defeated Drew Dober since that return, and that's it. And yet they're giving him a seven to one price tag over a guy that's kind of more proven in the division that he's fighting more uh, frequently. Not the same dominating performances, but one thing you'll note with Thiago Moyes is that he's able to come out of adversity. He's able to lose the first round. He's able to take a little bit of damage, and he's still able to squeak through. He's able to fight on. He's still able to make those adjustments. That's one thing that we just don't see from Makachev. He's the hammer. He's pretty much always the hammer. We know he can be the hammer. The one time that he faced a little bit of adversity, that would probably be his pro loss against Adriano Martins, in which he's knocked out. Since then, it's rinse and repeat. He takes these guys down. He... uh he holds these guys down. You know, you, you made a great point there with Khabib. You know, his ground and pound's a lot heavier. It's a lot more vicious. It's a lot more ferocious. Well, actually, I mean, Islam Makachev, it's not even like you compare one guy's ground and pound's heavy, one guy's is light. One guy's is heavy, one guy's is non-existent. Makachev is not throwing strikes when he's on top. That fight with Drew Dober, it makes it into the third round. He had landed 15 strikes. His fight with Armin Sarukian, it went full 15 minutes, 14 strikes. You know, like his fight with Nick Lentz, 15 minutes, 43 strikes. His fight with Chris Wade, 15 full minutes, 12 strikes. He's not he's not hitting you when he takes you down. He, he might hit you one time standing to shoot a takedown, to take you down, and then he's going to start grinding on you. That game plan is going to work day and night in a three-round fight. In a five-round fight, it's a lot more interesting. Because one, I don't know if Islam Makachev can fight hard for five rounds. Khabib was able to do it, but he's a specimen. It looks like Makachev will be able to do it. He himself is in great shape. He does not look like he's getting tired in these spots. But again, at least it's uncharted territory for him. Then you got to namely think about, okay, well, he's not landing any of these strikes because he just he gets the takedown so easy, but he's not really striking a whole lot stand-up. The takedowns just come too easy. Against Thiago Moises, at least if there's this idea or this perception, maybe you don't want to take him down. Maybe he fishes for the leg lock. Maybe his BJJ is pretty good. Well, at least it gives you cause for concern. If you're not taking him down, you're forced to strike with him. I give the striking advantage to Thiago Moises. So not only does he need to make sure that he's getting these takedowns, he needs to make sure he's getting these takedowns. Yeah, probably. I'm just saying the 650 line or the 675 line is not something I completely agree with. So you got Makachev, because he's Khabib's boy, everyone loves it. But Khabib's not fighting professionally right now. Is he in camp? I don't know. The guys at American Top, who, who, sorry, uh, AKA, who exactly is at AKA right now? Who exactly is he working with? You know, the gym's, kind of a little bit in disarray in that they've had a lot of pieces move away or retire in the last couple of years. So you just don't know where they're at, but because he's friends with Khabib, because it's that same lineage, because like you said, you know, he's another Dagestani fighter. I think you're getting this huge price tag on it. It's not like he's been super impressive is that he routinely gets overlooked. And I think that's the biggest key here. The reason why this line is so big, you've got one guy in Makachev who's everybody's darling, everybody knows the name and they're making a direct comparison to Khabib and Ramagomedov. And you got the other guy in Thiago Moises that, yeah, and just nobody cares about. But I, you see steadily improvements from him as well. Look at his three-fight winning streak, right? For fact, the Michael Johnson fight, he's getting beat up. He turns it around in the second round. He gets the knee bar, um, gets the submission victory. But he's an even money pick coming into that fight. The next fight against Bobby Green, he's a plus 255 underdog. Goes in there. Yeah, probably should have lost. Got outstruck. But the thing is, is that Bobby Green fought a stupid game plan. Thiago Moises 
fought much better. He got the takedowns when he needed the takedowns. When Bobby Green would get clowning around on the standing, Chaga Moises would take advantage. He cashes that ticket as a 255 underdog. Then he comes right back to fight Alex Hernandez as a plus 185 underdog. Now, here's the thing that people forget to realize with Thiago Moises. He's only 26 years old, and he trains that American top team. He's one of the mainstays in American top team. He's one of the lead training partners for guys like Dustin Poirier and George Monsvidal and the best guys in the world. He's still 26 years old. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He was a competition black belt that had some success. His striking's getting better. His durability's getting better. What's there not to like? And yet again, this is just another, oh, well, he's there to lose price tag. I think his cardio is okay. I think he's going to have a slight striking advantage. And I think his BJJ is enough to maybe keep, keep him safe. I, I, I agree with the assessment again. Makachev is the favorite. We all expect Makachev to win. But we all expected Thiago Moises to lose his last three. Most people, right? There's a reason why he's coming in. He lost most of these fights, though. I mean, Michael no, Johnson was whooping his ass on the field. Michael Johnson and does then that. He, he's, then he finds yeah, round two, that. round two, dives, finds an ankle, finds the finish. Just like that's that's just MMA being MMA. Bobby Green, Bobby Green, uh, like had like forty significant strikes more than him. Like I had money on Bobby Green. I was pretty sour. I don't really yell robbery all that often. And like the way that the fight ended and the way that fights are scored in MMA, I can see the argument for Tiago Moises winning that fight. But like by every freaking metric, Bobby Green should have been cashing tickets for me that evening. And then the Hernandez fight, another razor, razor close fight. The one, the major difference that we see here is that Islam Makachev throw out the Adriano Martins. I guess that would be like a, a one little question that we have about this guy. Is he a little bit chinny? But it's pretty much one-way traffic. He grabs a hold of you. He finds a trip. He gets it to the mat. Um, and he doesn't have the same ferocity, as we, as we keep saying, as Habib did. But that technical wrestling is on point. And, and we've, we said it with Habib a million times. People go, what happens when he takes on somebody with jujitsu? It's just like, if you're on your back against this level of Dagestani wrestling, you're losing. Like, that, that's just the way it is. These guys are incredibly hard to submit. Like, if you even trap them in some sort of submission, like, their ability to maneuver and escape is second to none. Um, I think the price is a little bit wide, too. I couldn't help myself. I parlayed them with uh, someone else that we'll talk about later later on down the card. But I, I understand the the argument. It's just like this – Habib was only this big of a favorite in, like, two of his, like, 15 fights in the UFC. I think it was – uh, Ally Aquinta, who was on one day's notice, and I forget the other one, but yeah, yeah. Usu- Habib was usually like, you know, plus 300 or minus 300, minus 400 in a lot of spots. Sometimes you'd even get better odds. They're definitely making you pay the piper on, on the name. I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah. And then and then I guess the last point would be, again, I mean, this guy's just, just wrecking machine and he's smashing guys, but you look at his record and it's like, okay, so his wins in the UFC are Leo Kuntz, who's no longer with the promotion. His loss to Adriano Martins, who's no longer with the promotion. Chris Wade is no longer with the promotion. Nick Lentz is on a three-fight losing streak. Figures to be on his way out. Glyson Tebow is no longer with the promotion. Cajun Johnson is no longer with the promotion. Amar, um, Armin Sukrukian was 22 years old and took the fight on very short notice. Davi Ramos, I don't believe, is with the promotion anymore, but he's hanging on. And then he has a quality win over Drew Dover off a long layoff. Mm-hmm. I agree. I love his style. His style is the most successful style to, to apply to mixed martial arts. Completely agree. Just the price tag is the only thing I'm trying to point out. So uh, where I made a mistake... 
I don't know. It's all about for, if you're making parlays, right? It's all about who's that key piece. Who's that guy that's not going to lose. And then you make a mistake. Oh, well, I really put too much faith into wonder boy. I just don't want to be caught in the same space where it's like, everybody's universally just on this guy. Next could be next could be. Why do we say that? And is that recency bias causing this line to be out of hand? And is that line being out of hand going to cost me money? Come Saturday. Those are the things I'm trying to figure out. However, the official pick it would, would be, um, yeah, I, I would probably have to agree with your assessment is Makachev. And probably like that over two and a half, but yeah, over two yeah, and a half. Who, who I don't really, have who, listed in front of me. It's over it's four and a half that uh, that it's lined at. Yeah, I don't think this goes five rounds. So I would say the under four and a half would be mm-hmm. the move. But which is uh, plus one fifteen is uh, Cody's call on that one. All right, we got Misha Tate taking on Marion Renault. Misha Tate minus one thirty five favorite. Marion Renault could be had for plus one fifteen. Narrative. Nation all over this fight. I mean, Misha Tate hasn't fought in five years, but she's only 34 years old. On the other side, we've got Marion Renault, who's 41, and this is the dreaded retirement fight. She said that she is all done after this fight. I, I here's the thing with like Misha Tate is I didn't even really go through and watch too much tape on this. I already have a play, Misha Tate. I got it at like minus 122. I think minus 135 is still more more than fair in this spot. Five-year layoff, but I've been watching the Instagrams. I've been looking, looking at her YouTube feed, and it's like she looks like she's in the best shape I've ever seen her in. This, uh, if it was a comeback fight against like Holly Holm, I would definitely be a little bit nervous in this spot. Could she recreate the magic that she did when she got the title off of Holly Holm? I don't know. At this stage in her career, five years off, lots of red flags in that respect. Marin Renault's on a four-fight losing streak. Uh, I just don't think that her head's 100% in the game anymore. I think t- Tate's the play here, and I'm actually surprised that the, uh, that the odds are the way that they are. What about you? Yeah, I mean, you got a former champion, you got someone who's got the name again, but there's just so many red flags. I mean, the five-year-long layoff, the fact that she gave birth to a child and is returning from that. But beyond that, I mean, from the sparring footage that you've seen of her, from the stuff released online, like, she's probably holding back. She's probably not trying to show all of her tricks, but she doesn't look nearly as explosive. You mentioned that she's in good physical shape, but I just don't think that she's near the same version that that left the sport. And the version that left the sport wasn't all that great. I mean, she was kind of at the tail end. And then last but not least, something that people are really not talking about, more or less her entire professional mixed martial arts career, she was coached by her boyfriend, Brian Carraway. He's her go-to man. He does everything in camp, fight preparations, studying the fights, helping her with the weight cut. He's like her lead training partner. And the guy's brilliant. You know, he's a legitimate BJJ black belt. He's a very smart guy. He's battled anxiety throughout most of his career. <clears throat> but has still gone out there and beaten guys like Aljamain Sterling, you know, like he, he's competed at the highest level despite all this stuff. And when she ditched him to get with Johnny Nunez, who's a fucking loser, eh, you know, I mean, is he going to show you anything? No, no, no. Dude's like nine and three, but he's never attained anything notable in his career. He fought on the ultimate fighter and got bounced pretty quick. He's not Brian Caraway, is what I'm getting at. So sure. She's at extreme couture as she was, but I just don't think it's a good version of her coming back. When she retired, she's retiring to have a child. Her and Brian split up, even though they've been together for well over a decade. And she gets a job as like an executive for one championship. Did you ever hear anything about that? Did she do anything? Did, was she ever like meant? I don't know. She just took an executive job. And then five years later, I don't even know if she's still with Johnny Nunez. It's just, she's back for a fight. 
And at the time, it was like, you know what? Good on her. She's probably sitting at home. She's bored. She's got the itch. She wants to compete. She's 34 years old, like you mentioned. There's a there's a bad taste in your mouth coming off back-to-back losses. The Manda Nunez one you give a pass to. The Raquel Pennington one, that was a bit of a tougher pill to swallow. So you sit at home. You think about it. You know what? I got one left in me. And for her to come back and take like a one-off fight where there's a Marion Renault, that's cool. But uh, yeah, apparently she's still got championship aspirations. She still wants to fight Manda Nunez again. And that I, I don't fully understand. If you're looking at this for simply what it is, is a style clash, then yeah, I think uh, Misha Tate probably does get this fight to the ground, does end up on top, and then it's just going to become a grappling match. Mary Renault is a BJJ black belt. She's okay off her back, but at 44, the explosiveness isn't quite there. The strength's good, but is she going to out-muscle Misha Tate? Probably not. But yeah, I mean, just there is a world that exists where Misha Tate doesn't land that takedown. It's forced to be standing. Misha Tate lands a few jabs. She's looking good. She might look like she has a slight speed advantage, but Mary Renault's rugged. And she keeps coming at you. And when she keeps coming at you, she causes problems for opponents, right? Whether whether they still beat her, that's fine. But when she comes forward and she hits you, then there's this sense of, oh, no, you know, am I, am I in the wrong spot? That's kind of how I felt when she fought Raquel Pennington. She's coming off a title fight with Amanda Nunez. She's a rock-solid favorite over Raquel Pennington to win this fight. I think the line officially went off at – actually, you know what? She wasn't that big of a favorite, only minus 135. But it was just like you could tell in that moment, it's like the wrestling wasn't quite there anymore. The desire wasn't quite there anymore. The skills weren't quite there anymore. She's starting to fall behind. That's UFC 205. You know, it's five years ago. So much has changed since then. So, yeah, I don't know. I just have really no faith that she's going to come back to a good version of herself. Now, the UFC's done an excellent job. Does she have to be a good version of herself to beat 44-year-old Marion Renault, though? Yeah, so fair. The, the UFC's done the perfect thing. Matchmaking's gone out. Who's an older fighter in the division who doesn't really have the skills to pose that many of a problems and is currently not on a great run right now. And then you draw Marion Renault. It makes absolute sense. But really, Marion Renault's losses, we're going to laugh at her losses. Kat Zingano, world, fi- world title challenger, and is currently doing really good in Bellator. Yannick Kunikea, right? Looked like dog shit last week mm-hmm. against opponent who missed weight by six pounds. But, uh, I mean, she sent Yana to the hospital because she absolutely pulverized her in that third round. You got Raquel Pennington, the same woman that rearranged Misha Tate and caused her to retire. And then you got Macy Chason, who won the Ultimate Fighter at 145 pounds. And it's considered a pretty big girl in the division at 135. Since Misha Tate's last fight in 2016, Mary Reynolds had some 10 fights in the UFC. The experience is there. We say she's 44, but she keeps herself in excellent shape. And one has to imagine, whenever fighters announce a retirement before the fight, Paul, you know this just as well as I do, it doesn't go good. It doesn't nope. go good. But in her case, it's like she's 44. They never. They told her she'd never make it to the UFC. They told her she was too old to be on the Ultimate Fighter. They told her that she'd never win these fights, collect these bonuses along the way. And now it's her final fight. She's going to go out guns a-blazing versus Amisha Tate that thinks she wants to fight again, but doesn't know for sure until she gets in there. So... I know this is going to, people are going to be copo, copo, but like I would pick Misha Tate. What I'm trying to tell you is that I have no fucking confidence on the fight. Okay. So just because, dude, he just talked about me and no having a shot. It doesn't matter. Okay. I'm just either pass or I guess the UFC is trying to match up Misha Tate for a specific reason. But this is a card where a lot of these underdogs are going to cash in. It's going to be parlays are probably going to get shit on pretty heavily this week because, again, there's a lot of uncertainty and it's a lot of mid to lower mid level fighters. But because Misha Tate has a name, she's a former champion. Let's completely forget about the fact that she needed that fifth round stoppage over Holly Holm and she was going to lose a decision. She's yeah. a former world champion. She has a big name. She's a pretty Holmes gal. She's fought those fights with, yeah, she's fought. She's fought those fights with Ronda Rousey. She has a high profile. 
And is that the reason I'm going to better? She hasn't fought professionally in over five years. It's way too big of a red flag for me, even though I agree with the assessment that she should win, should and will are two far different things. Cop out. Yeah. Bet take. Be a bunch of them, sure. Bet take, come get rich. All right, we got Matus Gamrot taking on Jeremy Lil Heathen Stevens at 155 pounds. Gamrot minus 210 favorite. Stevens can be had for plus 175. Obviously, Stevens missed weight last time out. At featherweight, he's always really, really big at featherweight. Uh, how do you see this one shaking out? Yeah, I mean, it's a good fight. I got to go with my guy, Matus Gamrod. I mean, yes, am I a bit of a nut hugger? Sure. And hopefully this is not this week's Stephen Thompson, but I really like what I see out of him. And when he was in KSW, he was the biggest 145-pound guy you had ever seen in your life. He's moved up to 155 pounds. And uh, whereas he doesn't maybe have that pure size, I mean, he, he he's, he's so well-rounded. He's good everywhere. It really comes down to what kind of game plan he's going to fight, and that's the one knock on him. Similar to my boy Rowdy Barcellos, skills everywhere, but like, what's maybe the one knock? Like, too hesitant, slow starter, waits too long to get going. He's fought in so many five-round fights in KSW that he would routinely drop a round or two and then pick up the steam and put these guys away the later the fight goes, or just sheer domination the longer the fight goes but in a three-round fight he's there to get exposed the same way as round he is you got to get to a fast start off on him and then by the time he figures it out he's just down too far in the in, in the in the hole makes his ufc debut you were right on this one i was wrong of course i got a 315 ticket you got like a plus 250 ticket on gurama kudalitz and you know your whole narrative there is that kudalitz trains with guys that are grapplers you know he's out of the same gym as uh kamzat chimaev i mean he had been working specifically with chimaev for a long period of time training striking secrets for grappling secrets he's a big strong thick georgian man and uh, getting him down is going to be a bit of a problem. And Gamrot, when he doesn't take you down, he's a little lackadaisical with the striking. You were quick to that. I thought didn't was going to matter. Gamrot's already fought elite-level competition in Poland, and this is just going to be a continuation of that. He's undefeated for a reason. He draws a lot of similar parallels to a George St. Pierre. Uh, and then, and then, yeah, the Kudalitz fight exactly, exactly how you thought. Dude never shot his takedowns. Dude followed him around. He waited far too long. He gave up the first two rounds. And then the third round... Woke up, realized he was in a fight, and put it on him. Unfortunately, put it on him too late. One judge thought he, he did a little enough in the second, but it, two judges didn't believe he did it, and he ends up losing the fight. Split decision. Coming back from, from that to the Scott Holtzman fight, it looked like there was more of a sense of urgency. It was more like he realized there's only three rounds. I need to go out there and put it on him right away. When you leave KSW, when anybody leaves KSW for the UFC, it's got to be it's a big it's a big money thing. The UFC is giving you big money because KSW signs probably the best contracts in Europe. You could get paid. Guys like Mami Kaladov have turned down UFC contracts because they'd rather hang out in KSW and make bigger paydays to fight lesser competition. When he left KSW as an undefeated two-weight world, uh, two-weight class world champion, he signed a good contract with the UFC, and they're going to want him to earn his keep. And that Holtzman fight, it looked like you know he was interested in pursuing this, doing the best he can, came in, better game plan, got on him right on the get-go, looked a lot better doing so. This fight with Jeremy Stevens, again, Jeremy Stevens is a big name in the division, but they're paying they're paying this guy enough money. He needs to go out and fight those big-name guys, moves way up the division, potentially line himself for a potential title shot. And that's what you got in Jeremy Stevens. Is he a, is he a big 45-er? Yeah, heavy-hitting 45-er? Yeah. At 55, even though this is a weight class he has fought at in the past, I just think the grappling is going to be there to expose him a little bit, as well as he's the hardest-hitting featherweight right? But is he the hardest hitting lightweight? Maybe not exactly. And that's another thing when you're dealing with a guy that's just relentless like Matus Gamrot is if you could hit him and hurt him and keep him honest and keep him to the outside, 
maybe you'd have a little more success. Jeremy Stevens has nasty leg kicks. Maybe try to, you know, demobilize this guy a little bit. But Gamrot's a gamer, and he just keeps coming at you. He's got solid cardio, especially because it's only a three-round fight, not a five-round fight like he's accustomed to. And I just think he's going to get his grind on and just be able to wear Stevens down over the course of time. If anybody's got a puncher's chance, it's obviously Jeremy Stevens. And if you go back to that debut for Matus Gamrot, you see that yeah, maybe a big, strong power puncher that can stuff the takedowns will give this guy trouble. But I still think he's improving, growing, getting better. 55, much better weight class for him than 45, where he's not killing himself on these weight on these uh, weight cuts. And I think that this will be a you know a good showing for him. So I got my two scam round over Jeremy Stevens. I'm gonna say probably by decision. And uh, yeah, feel I feel better about that one. Well, I guess you know I feel okay about the main event, but the price tag is a runaway. I don't love that co-main event. At least here with Matus Gamrod, I uh, I grew with the line and I'm gonna pick him. I'm not a big Gamrod believer, to be perfectly honest. Just watching his tape, doing seeing what he does, he kind of like drives, jumps at the ankle. But my biggest problem with him is like if you're a wrestler, like being able to secure someone to the mat, hold them down, and and deliver like ground and pound. That's that's so huge. Like, what he got like five takedowns against Gurum Kutatalads, and none of them really credited for anything because Gurum was able to get up really fast, and there wasn't really any ground and pound from top. It's like it's all well and good to be able to like jump at that ankle, find the takedown, but if you really can't control, have any sort of meaningful top control time. It's just, it, it kind of, I think the judges kind of throw it out. Uh, for me right now on this fight, it's a, it's a dog or pass situation. I'm going to pass, but I, I'm watching the way and see how Steven shows up at one at 155. I'm just not a gamma up believer. Um, yeah, prove, fair enough. Prove me wrong, Matus. As you know, the Dogger Pass podcast is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. And not only is DraftKings Sportsbook America's top-rated sportsbook, it's also the preferred sportsbook of the Dog or Pass podcast. We love using DraftKings Sportsbook. It's easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and nearly limitless ways to get in on all the action. Our friends and family have been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and I know you will too. Listen to this great offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $150 in site credits. That's right. Pick either basketball team that is still in contention, bet $1, and if that team wins, you win $150 in site credits. So you should do that. Don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions on baseball, hockey, golf, MMA, and so much more all week long. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DOP when you sign up to turn $1 into $150 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game, and if they do that, you will claim $150 in free credits. That's promo code DOP, Dogger Pass, for a limited time only, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right, we got uh, Rodolfo Vieira taking on Dustin Stoltzfus. Vieira, minus 250. Favorite Stoltzfus can be had for plus 195. I mean, this money line, I mean, across the board, every single sports book that you look at, it's just like, I, 
I don't really understand why you would be laying minus 250 on Vieira when there are much better options on how to bet this fight. You've got, you know, Vieira inside the distance in like the minus 120, minus 125 mark. You've got Vieira by sub at like plus money in some spots right now. That is that is the play on this. Like Rodolfo, for that first five minutes, like against Anthony Fluffy Hernandez, coming out like a bat out of hell. He's so athletic and aggressive that it's like I, I think he can get that takedown against people early. And you have to put on a, uh, a submission defense clinic like Fluffy Hernandez did and tire this guy out. Uh, minus, yeah, I, I would be very surprised to see Vieira win like a decision in this type of spot. So I think a lot of the, the value from these markets that are a little bit later in the fight, it's just like uh, what I see from Rodolfo Vieira, he's either going to take you down and use that world-class jiu-jitsu and finish you real quick, or he's going to he's gonna fade away. So it's like the way I see this fight playing out, I, I made a play. I got Vieira by sub round one, and I've got Vieira by sub uh, flat because maybe he gets him in the second round or something like that. I, I imagine he's going to come out with a little bit more of a, uh, you know, a little bit, a little bit less of a reckless style. Like he was a bat out of hell against uh, Fluffy Hernandez, and it's debatable whether he had a good weight cut or not in that spot too. But yeah, the money line is kind of a, a direct stay away. I think Vieira, more often than not. Gets this job done, gets the fight to the ground, and and styles on him on the mat, though. What about you? Yeah, it's another fight I just don't really care to bet. The line's not good. I mean, Rodolfo Vieira just showed that he's a massive bust. Is he one of the great BJJ practitioners? Yes, but these great, great BJJ practitioners aren't having success in the UFC. I mean, we just saw what happened with Ryan Hall. Chase Hooper is not a great BJJ practitioner, but again, it just goes back to the fact that if you're super one-dimensional, yeah, you'll get away with it from time to time. Yeah, you'll catch those lower-level guys and you'll submit them. But there's nothing else in his game. Can he strike? Can he? Does he have cardio? You know, his wrestling is really predicated on just being so strong, mm -hmm. being really explosive, and peeling guys to the ground. The weight cut is definitely an issue because if you see him, he's shredded up, dude. He's a big guy. Now he had been spending all of his time at Fusion XL in Orlando, little strip mall. He's working with guys like Mike Perry, who's known to have a bad gas tank. Jacare Souza, who's now currently really known to have a bad gas tank. Um, Alex Nicholson, who's known to have a bad gas tank. Philip Rowe, who's known to have a bad gas tank. Yeah, it, you know what? Writing kind of was on the wall there. This guy needs to finish in the very first round. Lucky for him, he's the black belt hunter. He's Rodolfo Vieira. If he gets you to the ground, you're screwed. Just like what he's able to do in his UFC career. Oscar Pachota, Saperbeck Safarov. He's mauled right through these guys. The Anthony Hernandez fight was a weird one because you can blame it on the weight cut. You can blame it on the fact that he was ill-prepared. You can blame it on the fact that maybe he doesn't have great um, cardio. But like that, outside of the first three, four minutes of that first round, <clears throat> he didn't have any success, man. No. He gassed out tremendously. He looked so stiff and rigid standing. Mm -hmm. He did not like getting hit. He did not respond well to getting hit. Nope. You could tell him even in that first round, shit, Fluffy Hernandez is giving him all he could handle. When he got that takedown, it was like, thank God. But I remember telling, yelling at the screen, you need to finish it now. You need to finish this right now. And when he failed to finish it right then and there, it was all over. Hernandez comes out in the second. This guy's slow. He's lethargic. He can't take that much of a punch. And then of all things, he gets submitted. Now, how does he get submitted? Well, he gets submitted because he's so unbelievably tired. His mm -hmm. body's shutting down. If we give him excuses that he's going to come in as a better version of that, 
then yeah, okay, maybe he can make it happen. I just have no faith that he can. And whereas Dustin Stolfus is not that great of an opponent, he's got a pulse. He's got a heartbeat. He's breeze air, right? And the fact that he's alive means he could potentially win this fight because Rodolfo Vieira will need to submit him probably in the first round, maybe mm-hmm. in the second round, mm-hmm. or he just gets way too tired. Mm-hmm. And I guess the thing with Stolfus is that he is a BJJ black belt, right? He wrestled a little bit of a Pennsylvania before moving to Germany. He's beaten a couple okay guys like Jonas Billenstein, but he's never been knocked out as a professional. He's never been submitted as a professional. He's a planet eater um, black belt, which is a camp. It's in Germany, but it's essentially Dean Lister's camp. And he himself is a black belt, I believe, under Peter Sabata, another UFC veteran known for his grappling and known for this, like, spamming kick game. He can stand up, stand up, spam some light kicks, hopefully try to stuff some takedowns. If, for whatever you do get taken down, use that BJJ to cover up, hold on, keep yourself safe, eventually work your way back up, or the round ends. Now the next round starts standing. And if Vieira gasses, the worst guy in the division could potentially beat him. And if this is the worst guy in the division, so be it. But if he gasses, this man will still defeat him. So... At minus two fifty, that's the that's the problem, dude. I'm yeah, not opposed yeah, to betting saying. it. Yeah, I'm not opposed to betting it at minus one twenty, minus one twenty five, minus one thirty. You, you know, I, I'm not opposed all the way to minus one forty five, maybe, but like anything over that, like I'm not into. This is not a good looking card. I'll be perfectly honest with you. It might be entertaining. It's not. You bet single spots. In fact, make two or three bets on this whole card. But forcing jamming in these plays is not going to be a good idea. Oh well, yeah, jamming in the minus two fifty money line is just like you, this is. Rodolfo Vieira proved to us last time out he's a prop fighter. You gotta you gotta find your spots, and improve your value because his paths to victory are significantly limited. I think we we saw that last time out. And don't even try to get tricky if you if you're a, if you're a Stolfus guy and you're like you know what I'm thinking Stolfus round two TKO or round three TKO and that uh, that the Vieira gets super tired. It's just like. I would stay away from that because Fluffy Martinez, nobody had him winning by sub. So if Vieira gets super, super gassed, all bets are off of the table. Like you're betting this as a, as a Rodolfo Vieira round one, which I see on DraftKings Sportsbook is plus 165. I mean, if you're going to make a play on Vieira, you stay away from this money line. I really, I'll be very surprised if I see him win a decision. Um, I just don't know if he's got if he's really cut out for it, and like his stand up is so questionable that it's like he has to he's basically forced to try to get this fight to the ground as soon as possible. Prop fighter or bust, as far as I'm concerned. But I'm on I'm on Vieira uh, by sub. That's that's how I'm playing this one. All right, next one up we got Gabriel Mowgli Benitez taking on Billy Quarantillo. Mowgli, I think this is the best uh, the best price on the market right now. Uh, as I look on DraftKings Sportsbook, is a minus one sixty favorite at DraftKings Sportsbook. Billy Quarantillo can be had for plus one forty. When this fight first opened up, I think Mowgli was like plus one fifteen when it when it opened up at whatever shops it opened up, and people steamed it immediately, and it moved to like minus two twenty in a bunch of spots, and I was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa! I love me some some Mowgli, but it feels like this. This price is getting a little out of hand. I think we're now a little bit more in a in a rational uh, spot for this line. Uh, do you have a do you have a hard lean on this one? Yeah, I think the line was missed. Really, I mean, if you could get Gabriel Benitez at that opener at plus one fifteen, that was the move. I mean, you're getting a dog selection, one that's going to go and give you a, an honest effort. But yeah. take it from a Billy Q fan, a Billy Q guy. You know me, I'm a Billy Q's my guy. I, I I do not see this going very well for him at all. 
Billy is entertaining. Billy's got seemingly infinite cardio. Billy brings it. He's got heart. He's got a submission game. He's not physically strong at all. He's not strong enough in there. Yeah. These guys are just, they're routinely overpowering him. And from the skin of God, you know, from, from the nick of defeat, he's able to come back because he relies on his cardio. But the better you're going to be fighting guys, they're not going to get tired. They're not going to go away. And that was so evidently clear in that Gavin Tucker fight. Mm -hmm. I can't comfortably get behind Billy for a while now until Billy shows something. He looks like a bag of milk standing next to a, a, a bodybuilder when you look at him next to Gavin Tucker. Gavin Tucker is not a bodybuilder, and Billy Q is not a bag of milk. But the physicality is certainly a thing, man. The Jacob Kilburn fight, he actually loses the early portion of it, but that never-say-die cardio, he keeps coming at him. Uh, same thing in the Kwamala Kirk fight. He gets his ass kicked in the first round, never-say-die attitude, he brings it back. Spike Carlisle, he lo loses the first round. It's a very close fight. Tons of people screamed robbery, but he was not nearly strong enough to deal with Spike Carlisle, but he was, he was lucky to get that win. The Kyle Nelson fight, you know, spots, that's a very winnable fight for him. All the same is that finally the Gavin Tucker fight. And mind you, I've cashed three straight and a contender series ticket on Billy. Billy crashed big for us on contender. You remember that. Plus 185. Mm -hmm. The Jacob Kilburn fight, he's a three to one favorite, expected. The Carlisle fight, he cashes as a plus 130 or as a minus 130. And then Kyle Nelson again, he's three to one. He's four and oh, we're cashing tickets on him. We're happy. But that entire course of that Gavin Tucker fight, it was very hard to watch. It was like I knew Billy was not working his way back into this one like he did previously. He just wasn't strong enough. He can't muscle these guys to the ground. He can't stand there and go punch for punch because they're just hitting a lot harder than he is, right? He doesn't have the same firepower. Can he volume guys? Can he out volume guys? Absolutely. And the kind of guys that you'll out volume are the Spike Carlisles and the Jacob Kilberts and the Kyle Nelsons. Those guys you can get the jump on. But Tucker was a smooth operator and a fringe top 20 guy. And it looked like Billy was not even anywhere near his league. Now he's taking, he was supposed to take on Herbert Burns. This is a good fight because Herbert Burns has got zero cardio and he's a BJJ black belt, but Billy's a BJJ black belt with great cardio. I would have been Billy all day and Billy might've lost the first round, but he wouldn't have got submitted. He would have came back in the second or third and got the job done. I'd have been on Billy all day. Now you lose Herbert Burns. And you draw a guy that is a brick wall. He's way too strong. His striking is way more advanced than yours. Those light kicks alone are going to seriously, you know, debilitate Bill and take his ability to move away. Because we've got Benitez taking the fight on short notice, maybe there's your narrative. Maybe there's your narrative that, oh, he's short notice. He's not quite ready. And even if he wins the first two rounds, Billy's going to come back. I don't, I don't see it happening. I really don't. And by the way, he's, these guys are short notice. But they know the gist. They know the routine. They're staying ready. They're staying on weight. They're staying close to weight, and they're getting ready for these fights. So uh, I have no doubt that Gabriel Benitez will be sufficiently prepared. He was supposed to fight Jonathan Pierce two months ago. He missed weight. I don't know if this one's rebooked. No, it's still at 145. You're gonna, I guess you're going to have to wait to see the weigh-ins. If you short notice, he has a bad weight cut, and he does tire, it's going to be a problem. Even if all those three things happen, he's probably still up 20, or 20 to 18 going into the third. All he's got to do is survive, right? So yep. tough spot for my boy, Billy, really is. I hate picking against him. This will be officially the first time that I do so. If he proves me wrong, well, that's Billy doing his thing. But uh, but I, I don't think that Gabriel Benitez is a good opponent for him. Yeah, the only thing I can really add to your breakdown there is, like, Enrique Barzolo was kind of the one guy that showed, like, the path here. And it was securing nine takedowns 
against Gabriel Mowgli Benitez. Usually, usually I'm all over Benitez because we're getting like dog prices or like close to a pick them on it. It's a little bit more difficult. The price at DraftKings Sportsbook minus one sixty. It's uh, it doesn't transfer through to uh, best fight odds that way. It looks like it's a lot worse, but on the actual website minus one sixty, that seems like the play uh, uh, for sure. Uh, but yeah, it's like I, I just don't think Billy Quarantillo has the strength, as you were guys basically talking about. He doesn't have the strength like Barzola did to like you know just be a pit bull, move forward, and just secure takedowns and hold position. I think he's going to eat a lot of damage on the way in there. Um, I'm actually in terms of like the over under, I'm more kind of inclined to to go to the plus money to the under two and a half. But I'm going to wait to see the weigh-ins on all of this, uh, as you were saying, short notice, all of that good stuff. Next up, we got Daniel Rodriguez taking on Preston Parsons. Daniel Rodriguez, a minus 310 favorite. Preston Parsons can be had for plus 245. This is the leg that I parlayed with Makachev up top. I don't really understand it all that much. Preston Parsons obviously coming on short notice. You go through his record, you go through, through some of his fights, and... He looks very, very dominant in some of his fights, but it's like he's fighting a whole like league lower of uh, of fighter, and he's a bit of a can crusher. Most of the fights that I've seen on the the regional scene for him, um, whenever he has taken on like you know decent UFC level uh, competition, Valdir Arujo was able to finish him in the first round. Platinum Mike Perry was able to finish him in the first round. I don't really see, is he going to be able to wrestle, control Daniel Rodriguez? I don't know. Daniel Rodriguez uh, does, uh, he's got, he's pretty good everywhere, to be perfectly honest. The boxing's definitely on point. He's a 10th planet jiu-jitsu guy. Um, I like where this fight goes pretty much everywhere for Daniel Rodriguez. On top of that, Preston Parsons, I've noticed that a lot of his 170-pound fights, he comes in at like 168, which leads me to believe he's really probably a lightweight that's uh that's not really cutting weight d-rod all the way for me what about you yeah i mean i think you gotta start with the experience of daniel rodriguez i mean this is you know how sometimes you get a, a new replacement opponent billy q's case it's like oh man this is a way worse fight for me in this case it's like daniel rodriguez is supposed to be taking out abubakar Nurmagomedov, and you go from that to preston parsons so surely this should be an easier outing for him you can't completely write off Preston Parsons uh, in that he, he's done some good things. You point out those fact that he's, he's lost pretty convincingly to Valdir Arroyo and Mike Perry. He fought Mike Perry. He was 19 years old. He fought Valdir Arroyo two years later. He's 21 years old. And then he actually takes off two years after that, comes back, and now he's on this four-fight winning streak. Is the level of competition suspect? Yes. But I'll give the guy one thing. I mean, his grappling seems pretty okay. Seems like he's fairly heavy from top. His wrestling, again, all okay. If for whatever reason he was able to get Daniel Rodriguez to the ground, could be interesting, right? And Rodriguez's case is that he's fought Tim Means, a striker, Gabe Green, a striker, Dwight Grant, a striker, Nick Dalby, a striker, and Mike Perry, a striker. So there's a narrative to be said there that even though he's, I think he's the 10th planet BJJ black belt, what's he look like off his back? That's the main thing. What's he look off his back? Is he able to explode to get back up? He has questionable third round cardio. We've seen him gas out in the Gabe Green fight. We've seen him gas out in the Nick Dalby fight. I suppose that there's an avenue there. If you put some pressure on him, you were to tire him out, you were to take him down, and you were to spend some time in top position, that could be a serious problem. And Preston Parsons looks like a physically strong guy. Is he blowing through cans? Yes. But physically, he looks like a strong enough guy that maybe he would be able to get a hold of him, peel him to the ground, and then show us something new. But 
you just spent a whole camp getting ready for a Bubakar Nurmagomedov, right? You, you didn't work on your wrestling. You didn't work on your up game. You didn't work on, you know, getting up off your back. Come on. Mm-hmm. You, you would think that he's ready for all of that stuff. He's got a significant striking advantage. He's got the length. He's got the reach. <clears throat> I actually really like his boxing. And I think his submissions are a little uh, unheralded. I mean, again, he's a 10th, he's a 10th planet guy. He's got the submission win over Tim Means, which is a standing guillotine over a guy that was mildly concussed. But all the same, like he's not a fish out of water. And I think that this would be a good fight to prove that. Hopefully you don't get taken down. But if you do get taken down, you need to show that you're okay. Last but not least, he does have questionable cardio. But with Preston Parsons, you know, he's on short notice. And he did just fight. I want to bring it up exactly. He just fought five weeks ago. He fought Jeff Patterson. Yeah, that was the fight I watched last. Yeah, but think about fighting Jeff Peterson five weeks ago and now fighting Daniel Rodriguez in the UFC in front of a live crowd, right? I mean, that fight was one-way traffic. He whooped Jeff Peterson's ass, but just like I was watching him, just like, these aren't not, this is not the same level. Like, he's got a much stiffer test in front of him in Daniel Rodriguez, so. Yeah, and I'm a D-Rod guy, so I, I I would I would agree with this one. I would say if you were going to parlay a piece up, he feels like one of the safer guys on the card. But there's about four or five guys over all three to one, and there's a few, I, at least a few of them, I think, are going to be in for a rough night. I'm hoping it's not our boy Dan Rodriguez and he, uh, he is able to get through this one. All right, we got Amanda Lamas taking on my girl, Nectat. Cash me a big ticket last time out. Montserrat Ruiz Canejo. Uh, we got minus 550 Lamas plus 400 Canejo. It's like kind of close to like what the prices were for Cheyenne Buzz and everything that I saw on tape, you know, like I, I loved, you know, I was, I was all about Canejo last time out. The price was, was definitely right. I thought that she could bully and control. It's a bit of a one trick pony show though. Uh, the minus 550 on Lamas kind of makes me a little bit, uh, a little bit queasy, like against Mizuki in their fight. She ends up like losing head control battles against the cage, particularly in round two, I believe. That makes me a little bit nervous, laying or paying the piper at minus 550. I did make a play, uh, two plays, both small. So I guess that kind of turns it into a medium play. Lamas inside the distance, minus 125. Lamas by KO, plus 175. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think Lamas gets the job done here and makes it look good. Montserrat Ruiz is a one-trick pony, and that it's not like uh, Rodolfo Vieira or Ryan Hall, where it's like that one trick is some bonafide BJJ. No, it's literally one move in a set of grappling moves, right? She's good at a head and arm toss. She'll get you in a head and arm toss, toss you, hold it, very strong. That's it. Her striking looked bad against Cheyenne Buys. She just, whenever she needed that takedown, she got that head and arm toss. As she started to get tired, and as she started to get desperate, sure, wouldn't you shots. know at that time? Yeah, she's eating shots big time. And then she would just grab that stupid goddamn position, toss her into it. It's a position that's virtually dead in men's MMA. You do not see it anymore. In fact, it is strongly ill-advised in that you'll probably give up your back. Most people do give up their back. And then Cheyenne Baez fight. She actually did give up her back a bunch of times. The thing is, is that she would never let go of it. She never let go of it. The round would tick away. Very hard to watch, and yeah, it's not going to work forever. So pretty cool that Nectat scored you a big ticket. If you'll remember, that was the only fight on the card I got wrong. It killed the PRP. Cheyenne buys. Think about how big your PRP would have been with Nectat in it, pal. 
Yeah, I know, because Bias is like a three-to-one favorite. And you know something? And I made the joke with my buddy we were sitting there, but JP gets dusted off in the first, uh, the second round of the very first fight on the card. And I was like, fuck, I'd, I should get out of these uh, Cheyenne tickets. And I did it. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't, but I did it. Everything happened. So was she shook? I don't know. And she's upset afterwards. She's like, bitch, I'm going to follow you home. That was the greatest line of all time. That's hilarious. Bitch, I'm going to follow you home. Um, but it was all in all, it was like Montserrat just kind of did what she had to do. She just took that one position. It's very hard as a judge to be like, oh, well, she got hit a few times. Yeah, but she got controlled and dominated from the same position. Dominate is a bit of a stretch in that she's not taking damage. She's not getting ground and pounded, but you're secured in one position. You can't get out of it. It's tough. Now, who's able to do that? Only someone who's very, very, very physically strong. And I would say that Montserrat Ruiz is someone who's very strong. I would say that she might have success getting this head and arm toss one, maybe two times. The difference there is that Cheyenne buys. It wasn't like she was committed to really, she didn't want to put herself in a bad position to get out. It was almost like when she'd get caught in it, she was just going to put one hook in and hold on and wait for the referee to do something about it. Only the referee is not going to do anything about it because it's, it's a, uh, it's a good position. It's like a back take. You, you take someone's back and you just hold it. They're not going to stand you up. She's got a scarf hold choke. She's working for a net crank submission. You don't stand this thing up. So buys was her own enemy. It was that she allowed way too much time to tick by before trying to get up consistently. I don't think that'll be the case here um, against Amanda Lemos. Uh, Lemos has got a better grappling game. She's got a much better striking game. She is 34 years old, but I think she's filling into herself a lot better. If this thing he does hit the ground, I think she's going to be okay. And as far as the stand-up game, you really saw massive improvements from her, her last time out against Livian Souza or she means she drops her multiple times with a power jab. Finally, the ref just has mercy and steps in. That same type of stand back, use that power jab, you know, dictate the action, stuff those takedowns. If it does hit the ground, take her back if you can. If not, work to get back up. It should uh, it should be rinse and repeat. So I, I think Amanda Lemos gets the job done. But buyer beware, this type of bullshit head and arm choke, hold on to it like that does win fights. And it's not pretty and people complain, but it's it's an effective move. You know, yeah. it's one of those things. I mean, I, I, think, I, I hate yeah. to go ahead. No, no, I just ahead. think that the shots that uh, that she was eating against JM buys there. It's like against Lamas, who like, don't get me wrong. Lamas at 135 when she took on Leslie Smith. Like if that person showed up, I think that's a totally different person than when she showed up there. Short notice at 135 at 115. She seems like a totally different beast. So it's like I watched that fight in the lead up to this. I'm like, here's how things could go horribly if that happens. Maybe she has a bad weight cut and then we that reemerges. That could be problems for her. But the strikes that we've seen her landing, like they're so long, crisp. Like I think those are going to cause big problems. And the one trick pony, thank you for cashing me a ticket last time out. But uh, this ain't it. Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree more, man. Yeah, she drops two weight classes after her debut, and she actually took a little over two years off. And the version that you came that you saw come back, two weight classes down, two years off was much better. Again, I know that she's 34, but she's only got 10 professional fights. Sorry, 11 professional fights. So I think she's still green. She's still learning, and she's putting it all together. She will be a factor here. So uh, this is this is one of the fights I'm more interested in betting. All right, we got Khalid Taha taking on Sergey Morozov. Taha, minus 150, Morozov, plus 130. Who you got? I'm going to have to go with Sergey Morozov. It really does come down to his ring IQ. And, and is he going to shoot the reactionary takedowns? Is he going to keep on him with the wrestling? Is he going to just grind, grind, grind? Because that, that's what it comes down to. Khalid Taha 
is one pretty explosive. He's a short guy, but he is heavy handed. You don't want to stand in the pocket with him for a prolonged period of time. You really don't want to strike with him for a prolonged period of time. The other thing is he's a cheater. You know what I mean? He got, he got a no contest over Bruno Silva, uh, test for steroids. Mm -hmm. You see the guy, he's pretty jacked up. He used to fight in Ryzen. When he fought in Ryzen, he was pretty jacked up. It always looks like he's either just had the most incredible pre like backstage workout before fighting or he's greased. Like it's, but if you want him down, you can get him down. He's not greased because when they get, when these guys decide in their head, I would like to take him down. Now, Khalid Taha generally gives up the takedown, and that's what is really going to come down to the game plan. So, again, he's only five foot five. He's a short little fire hydrant of a guy. My boy, Rowdy Barcellos, gets the two takedowns over him, and it's easy work. Bruno Silva got two takedowns of him prior to getting submitted. And then uh, his fight with Nad Naramani, he's taken down six times by Nad Naramani. Keep in mind the Bruno Silva fight. He gets a submission. He ends up testing positive for steroids. He's taken down twice. Bruno Silva fights in the UFC at 125 pounds. He is a flyweight through and through. Taha, other than being, you know, jacked up, he doesn't, he's not that much bigger than a flyweight. He's a muscular flyweight. And that's Mm -hmm. why he's having trouble against these guys that wrestle. Because when he's allowed to strike, yeah, he's fast. And he is heavy-handed. And if he hits you, he can create a lot of damage. But when these guys start leaning on him, he doesn't have the cardio to keep up. He's not physically big enough to keep up. And he doesn't have the takedown defense to keep up. Sergey Morozov, at his best of his abilities, can do exactly that. I mean, he's a guy that came up short against Movzar Ivlov for the M1 Global title. And then when Ivlov left, this guy shined. This guy shined in the M1 Global uh, organization. Won the 135-pound title. Fought a couple guys. Got his win. Or he had lost to Josh Reddinghouse. Got that one back over. You see that he's growing. You see that he's getting better. They bring him into the UFC and they give him Umar Nurmagomedov. Well, that's a tough fight. That's a tough debut. You're going to take this guy down? Good luck. You know, strike this guy? Well, also going to be good luck because he's going to be taking you down and smashing you up. And that's what we saw out of Morozov. So I almost feel like Morozov's line, and it's officially... Plus 130. Yeah, yeah. Plus 130. I almost feel like it's a lot of recency bias. Like you're looking at, oh, well, he just got smashed up by a legitimate guy and this and that. He has skills. He's well-rounded. He's got skills everywhere. The biggest thing is he needs to get to that wrestling grind on Taha, take Taha down, make this difficult for him, tire him out, and then everything will come together. So as far as a live underdog, yeah, Sergey Morozov plus 132, plus 125, depending on what your book is. Uh, I, I, I think that if we're going to take a shot at an underdog here, Morozov could be that guy. Do we need him to fight the proper game plan? Yes. Do we need him to, to showcase some high ring IQ? Yes. But as far as style clashes go, this one could very well favor him. And surely no one's stupid enough to stand in front of Khalid Taha. Everybody knows he can hit. Everybody knows he's a cracker. Uh, that that sounded stupid. Uh, everybody knows he can he can hit. Everybody knows that he's got firecracker power in them hands. You don't want to stand in front of him. So if Morozov's smart enough, and I do believe he is smart enough, he'll get those takedowns. If he does that, he could be a good uh, live underdog cashier. I like where your head's at there. I think it's yeah. I think it's a dogger pass. I don't have anything on it. I'm not sure if I will. I'll wait until I see weigh-ins and. Maybe it's a better uh, better live type of thing where just make sure the Taha doesn't absolutely just come out looking like he's uh, he's back on the gear. No. Um, but, but yeah. All right, we got uh, Miles Johns taking on Anderson Dos Santos. Miles Johns, minus 165 favorite. Anderson Dos Santos can be had for plus 145. Went back, watched Miles Johns, most of his performances, to be perfectly honest. And what, last time out, you could really see he's been working on this jab. He's got that jab, firing it out. 
Kevin Natividad is just eating it like it's like it's breakfast. Uh, obviously, his first fight against uh, Cole Smith, like he kind of saw some of the holes in the game there. He could be kind of con- controlled against the cage. His grappling seems to be a bit of a work in progress. The Batista fight, uh, he was just outmatched in terms of speed and technique on the feet for the most part in that matchup and then gets finished in round two. Anderson Dos Santos, on the other hand, BJJ black belt. I feel like this is a really dangerous fight for Miles Johns. I haven't, I wanted to talk to you about it first because you've been kind of, I feel like you've been pretty on the money with Miles Johns most of the way here. But I do have concerns that like Miles Johns goes to that wrestling when things aren't working out on the feet. Anderson Dos Santos is, is going to just pressure forward try to throw bombs, and then if it ends up in a grappling range, like, I feel like he's probably going to have a pretty sizable advantage here. Like, Cole Cole Smith was able to do, was to able to, like, control that back. I know he's got really long legs. He's really long for the division. But he was able to have some serious success down there. I'm sure Miles Jones, you know, he's 28. I'm sure that there's major improvements happening every single fight camp. But I'm a little timid on on laying the hammer on him. For me right now, I think it's a dogger pass situation. What about you? Yeah, I'm actually going to go with Miles John, not take the underdog on this one. I think that he's still making a lot of improvements, and he's got a lot of weapons that I like. So, again, he's only 27 years old. You'd expect this guy to be continuously making improvements and rounding out his game, and I'm going to give him that benefit of the doubt. I'm going to make those excuses for him. I'm going to say that a lot of the adversity or the lot of spots where he's making mistakes earlier on in his career – is he still learning on the job? I mean, he wins the LFA title beating Adrian Inez. That's a solid win. Mm-hmm. He's got wins over Kyle Machado. Uh, he's, he's got a win over Levi Moles. So he's defeated some good guys in the regional scene before coming to the contender series. So now he's on Richie Santiago. This is a walk in the park win for him. This is going to go very smoothly. Only as it turns out, this Richie Santiago guy is just so durable, man. He just will not go away. And he just marches Johns down the entire time. Now, does Johns win? Yes. Does Johns win the decision? Sure. But it was like he did look tired in the third round just by virtue of Richie Santiago is so stubborn and really tough. So now the Cole Smith fight again, he doesn't look great. In fact, I thought he won the first two rounds, but in the third round, he gave up his back. He Cole Smith was able to uh, grind him, have some success grinding him a little bit. But I go back to he's still green. He's still young. He's still improving. I mean, the Richie Santiago fight is just, it's less than three months before his UC debut. So you win in front of Dana, you get the, the you get the contract. And now less than three months later, it's like quick turnaround. You're back in there against Cole Smith. You make your debut. He wins. Then he gets Mario Batista. He gets caught by that flying knee. It's like, is this guy limited? But he's still young. He's still making improvements. He's a guy that wrestled D2 at Newman University, I believe. Got injured, was ended up, didn't really like partake in the full season, but was a decent high school wrestler, was a guy that at least qualified for uh, the D2 level. And uh, and I think in MMA, you're starting to tie him all that together. But it's it's putting all those skills together. At first, it was just the wrestling. Like, while well, he wrestled a little bit, he's a skilled wrestler. And his problem is, is that he'll shoot, he'll chain wrestle, but he shoots everything so explosive. He'll mm-hmm. shoot multiple takedowns. He doesn't have great top control. Nope. So once he takes you down, you get back up, and then he's got to shoot another takedown. That's a lot of work. That gasses you out. But then in that Kevin Natividad fight, what you see is the jab as well. He's sure. got fast hands. Here's my concern. He's starting to work. Here's my concern yeah. with that jab. He's got yeah, yeah. a 66-inch yeah, yeah. reach. He's giving him right. four inches of reach in this spot, which I think, I mean, Anderson, uh, Anderson Dos Santos, it's mostly like hooks. He's not really fighting too, too long, but... My concern is that what I see on tape as Miles John's best weapon 
may not be all that effective in this spot. That's that's my concern. See, see, my counter to that would be Anderson Dos Santos has a four inch reach advantage, but he's also he's five foot five. He's got a two inch height disadvantage. He's the smaller man than Miles John. So even though his reach is slightly bigger, have you, you've watched obviously you watch the tape. You're a smart guy. I trust everything you say. When you watch them fight, okay, Miles John shoots that jab straight linear to the target. Mm-hmm. Andrew Dos Santos, every strike he throws is a fucking hook from the outside. Yeah. So what's going to hit the target first, right? Andrew Dos Santos moving forward, throwing hooks from the outside, or this kid with a natural speed advantage, faster hands, using that jab straight down the pipe. So he's going to beat him to the punch. Then the thing is, is that he's going to mix in his wrestling. That's where things get a little more dicey. Anderson Sanders is a tyrant off his back. Mm-hmm. He does not mind grappling. He loves throwing up submission attempts. So my the concern would be if John's wrestling, chain wrestling, tires himself out, is starting to get bothered by the forward pressure by Anderson, Anderson Santos, which again, he does move forward a lot, and he gets tired, well, then he could definitely get himself into some trouble late in the fight. Maybe like the third round, he gets caught in a submission or something of that nature. But I think his, I think his cardio is improving a lot more. Like again, he's, he's still young. He's at Fortis MMA, one of the better gyms in Texas. He's got a plethora of good high-level training partners to work with. I mean, he's he's in camp right now with uh, Carlos Diego Ferreira. So you're telling me that that guy is not going to have you ready for what Anderson Dos Santos is bringing to the table? I expect him to be better. He's getting experience. He's getting older. He's adding to his skill set. Whereas Dos Santos is 36 years old. He's got a loss to Nad Naramani, who's never factored into the UFC. He's got a loss to Andre Uhl, who's a fringe top 25 contender. Yeah, the reach, the reach on Uhl was like really the the big thing in that fight, though. Like Andre Uhl's got like yeah. insane. Mm-hmm. He's like 76-inch reach in this division. Yeah, huge. That yeah, was like huge. the big problem stays the for outside. him in that fight. Yeah. yeah, but it was also the jab as well. Like Uhl mostly throws jabs to yeah. set up a switch stance left hand or something. So a 10-inch longer jab than, yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> than sure. Miles for, Johnson. Yeah, yeah, right, right. That's, so I saw uh, that path. Deep. I'm like, th- that path could be here, but like th- 10 inches, it's it's a big deal. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, you know what? I mean, that's a huge reach advantage, and I agree. Anderson Santos has a four-inch reach advantage here, but the better striker is going to be Miles John. The better wrestler is Miles John. So Miles John should be able to dictate where he wants this fight to take place. If he's having the better of the striking exchanges, keep striking. If the fight hits the ground, it'll be by his own merit. And then last but not least, the Kevin Natividad fight, he knocks him out in the third round. I think that's a clear indication of this guy's cardio is starting to get better. He is starting to get more experience. He is starting to feel more comfortable in his own skin, get improve as an overall fighter. Whereas Andrew DeSantis, he's, he, is, he is pretty limited. We know what we're getting out of him. He is who he is. He could still win this fight. He could still pull the upset. But I, I don't think uh, I don't think I'm going to back him personally as an underdog in this spot. So I will take Miles John. But again, this is another fight where I fully recognize that there's a, a lot of danger involved. All right, we got Francisco Figueredo taking on Malcolm Gordon. Francisco Figueredo minus three twenty favorite. Gordon can be had for plus two fifty. Surprised that Malcolm Gordon's in the third fight in the UFC. To be perfectly honest, um, we've said it on the show before. We'll say it again. I mean, the, the guy's durability definitely, definitely a big question. Um, he's been knocked out on uh, by much lesser talents all the way through his career. Um, the mm-hmm. one real question mark there, because his grappling was supposed to be on point, Amir Albazi snagging up that triangle choke was another kind of like red flag as far as I'm concerned. Went back, w- going back and watching Francisco Figueredo, obviously Davidson Figueredo's brother. I didn't really see the power there. 
but it was kind of tough. I guess Jerome Rivera, I mean, Jerome Rivera, uh, when he took on Zalgis this past weekend, at least early on, it's like he was giving Zalgis some fits on the feet. I think he's a sneaky long striker, and Figueredo just kind of just dedicated himself to the takedowns, getting this ground, uh, the fight to the mat, and controlling in those scenarios. Um, I can't help it. I, I ended up making a play on Figueredo. I don't really see the power. I wanted to be able to find some of his fights from Jungle Fight on the Brazilian regional scene because he's got some knockouts there, but um, it's kind of a bit of a blind faith one and, and fading the chin on uh, on Malcolm Gordon. I took Figueredo inside the distance, plus 125, and I got Figueredo Gordon under 2.5, minus 125. What do you think? Yeah, so the scary thing here is that, like, am I considering Malcolm Gordon? Am I at least giving him his, his, his respect here that he could pull off the upset? Like, that's crazy. The fact that I'm even thinking that really goes to show you how bad Francisco Figueredo could potentially be. Malcolm Gordon, very few times, there's no such thing as locks, right? But very few times will you hear me saying, no way he beats Amir Albazi, and then follow that up with a no possible way he beats Suma Derji. That was the lock of the week, the play of the week. Further much crushed the inside the distance and by knockout. Malcolm Gordon can't take a punch, man. He can't. It's a sad, unfortunate thing about MMA. His first pro loss against Randy Turner, who is a part-time fighter, part-time military guy from Ottawa, he gets knocked out. They took on Austin Ryan, who is a local regional guy from Alberta, and he got knocked out. They took on Dimitri Waterberg in Quebec, uh, and Dimitri Waterberg absolutely just toasted out his leg. I had talked to Malcolm Gordon at a regional show right before, and he wasn't giving the guy any respect. It was just like, hey, man, how do you think the fight's going to go down? And he's like, how do you think the fight's going to go down? I don't know, man. Are you going to try to take him down? Do you think I should take him down? Yeah, dog, I do think you should take him down because he's going to fuck your leg up otherwise. And sure enough, he did. He took that fight up by 135, and you can tell he's just not a 35. He's a natural 125. His win, you know, it's extremely suspect. Michael Jordan, 3-1 and one fighter out of Michigan, never went on to do anything. Uh, Jordan Graham, he was actually a badass, good Muay Thai fighter from Canada, but he was 2-0. and oh. uh, he just, how, how does a guy with 12 pro fights fight a guy that's 2-0 and oh that just turned pro a year prior? It's a mismatch, right? His fight with James Mancini, that was actually solid enough. James Mancini, decent wrestler. Picks up that win. And then this Yoni Sherbatov fight. So Sherbatov was on the ultimate fighter. Sherbatov was supposed to be the top Canadian flyweight of all time. He was supposed to be a legend coming out. Never quite panned out. Sherbatov broke his rib early in the first round. And, you know, still he's absolutely shit-kicking Malcolm Gordon. This close to knocking out Malcolm Gordon. And Malcolm Gordon ends up on his back and smits him with a rear naked choke. It's a grand moment. He won the TKO title. But the writing's on the wall there, man. He cannot take a punch. Amir Al-Bazi, I was only somewhat familiar with him because I had watched his Jose Torres fight from Brave FC. And that in itself was, was enough that it's like, yeah, yeah, this guy's not losing to Malcolm Gordon, no chance. So he proceeds to beat up Malcolm Gordon standing, even though that's his Malcolm Gordon's base. And then the second the fight hits the ground, Gordon's the black belt. Gordon's the guy that doesn't want to strike with guys anymore because he knows he can't take a punch. Well, he's submitted immediately by Al-Bazi in that triangle choke. They do give him one more. He draws Suma Derji. That's why I'm drawing this narrative that it's like, yo, watch what happens. Literally, the first punch that Sumadirji will land on this guy will wobble him, mm. and the second punch he lands will probably knock him out. Sure enough, that's exactly how it happens. Two punches in, he's on skates, and then he's knocked out. I, I'm as shocked as you are. I don't know why they would bring him back in, but you sign a four-fight deal, and look at Jerome Rivera. Jerome Rivera's 4-0 in the UFC. Sorry, he's 0-4 in the UFC. They've allowed him to fight out all those four fights. Uh, Justin James, I believe he lost four in a row. They'll allow these guys to lose. I mean, I guess he'd be Camacho in his debut, but... 
they'll allow you to lose a couple fights. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for doing the damn thing. And once they realize you're non-competitive and you're taking too much damage, they're going to cut you. And that's what's going to happen here. Francisco Rivera is, or Figueredo, sorry, is not a power puncher. He's not his brother. He's not nearly the same man of his brother, but I, he probably just needs to glance with one and put Malcolm Gordon over. Now, I'll admit, I'm not big up on Figueredo, no, the brother, either. Francisco. And the thing with Davidson is that he can glance you with a punch and it does a lot of damage. He's got a lot of power in, in both hands. So sometimes you see the technique. It's not super clean, but he can get away with it. He's also extremely strong for 125 and he's got that guillotine choke. There's variables that make him a fighter. With Francisco, it's like he's got a straight-up boxing stance. He doesn't throw the kicks. He doesn't have the same power. His wrestling, you know, he uses it a little more than Davidson does, but his jiu-jitsu doesn't seem as good. I would have a, a bad feeling that if this thing stayed standing, that Malcolm could have a little bit of success. He either gets knocked fuck out right away, or he, he's actually a little bit cleaner with his Muay Thai striking. He spent this camp, as he normally does, with Joseph Valtellini, Bazooka Joe out of Canada. You know, a former uh, glory kickboxing world champion and a good kickboxer. He's going to be a little more clean and a little more refined. If he gets hit and he gets knocked out, okay, it happens. But if he doesn't get knocked out, he could have the better of these striking exchanges. It's when Figueredo shoots the takedowns, and he will. If Gordon's really good off his back, if he's good in these scrambles, if he has a good guard, then why could he not? Why could he not frustrate him? Why could he not give him fits? Mm -hmm. Ultimately, though, it's very hard to win a fight off your back unless you're going to get a submission. I don't think Figueredo is going to get submitted. So if he gets those takedowns, ends up in top control, he's going to win. If he doesn't get the takedown and it stays standing, he could be getting beat up, but he just needs to land one shot, and then that'll change the complete tide of the fight. So as much as like I briefly flirted with the idea of maybe giving Malcolm Gordon a little more respect in this fight, like I, I can't. I just, I just can't. So I'm going to have to go with Figueredo. Yeah, that's why I went Figueredo inside the distance. And then the questions, because I have questions about Figueredo. That's why I took the under two and a half. Because um, if Gordon, maybe maybe Gordon's got an advantage on the mat, sneaks in a sub, at least I get my money back and uh, yeah. you know, mitigate some damages for Figueredo not getting the job done. The minus 320 scares me a little bit uh, on the money. I, I feel like this is just like a kind of like a, a dabble with props kind of card this week. That's that's what I've been drawn to a little bit more. And uh, that's kind of, I don't have a, a bet on the next fight coming up here, but uh, that's kind of where my head's at as well. We got Rodrigo Nascimento, minus 350 favor, taking on Alan Baudo, who can be had four plus 270. Baudo may be the worst heavyweight in UFC history. Um. It's it's not it's not great. I mean, that Todd Stout fight, which is a win by disqualification, he's getting his ass beat. And then Todd Stout, it was uh, it was a weed. He uh, tested positive for THC, um, yeah. and that's what flipped it to a win. So the guy's coming off of a loss at 205 pounds to a local guy, a regional guy that we're pretty familiar with uh, from the uh, Toronto area. I can't understand. Okay, so like. He's a main training partner, I guess, with Cyril Gaon. Just like, I can't, like, it seems like unnecessary, uh, reckless, to be perfectly honest, to put Cyril Gaon and Alan Bodo in, in the same cage at the same time. Like, I can only imagine how much Gaon has to, like, take his foot off the gas whenever they're in there together. And I know that, like, Gaon, for a lot of his training camps now, they're bringing in much different bodies. I'm sure... You know, maybe early in his career, Baudot was like a main training partner. There's no way that's the case anymore. The guy's got some decent, like, he's got like a judo background. He's got some decent throws. 
but it, it doesn't really translate to like wrestling or wrestling defense. His grappling seems very, very questionable. Tom, Tom Aspinall was able to take him down, just jumped him out pretty much immediately. Rodrigo, I have concerns about him as well. Um, mainly, I'm not sure about his durability. Obviously, Chris Daukis was able to, uh, to expose him on the feet last time out. His wrestling, I think, is a little bit herky-jerky. He's 27. I'm sure he's making those improvements in the gym. But it doesn't really feel like there's enough. Uh, you know, Alan Bodeau, probably a better 205-pound, much more domineering 205-pound fighter than at, uh, than at heavyweight. I just don't think that there's too much, too much resistance coming from the takedown defense of Alan Bodeau. I think Rodrigo Nascimento finds a submission. All of these props on this fight, pretty, pretty juiced. It's tough to find a great line. I'm And this, this fight is one of the ones that the books are being a little bit slower to the draw to be posting uh, props on. But I think the play here, if any, is Nascimento by sub. What about you? Yeah, Nascimento by sub and probably in the first round if you really think about it. Yeah, Alan Bodo, you know, you can argue that's like, oh, he's one of the worst heavyweights in the UFC or UFC history, but it's... I would argue he's not even a heavyweight. I'm shocked. Well, it's like Boyan Mahaljevic was not a heavyweight either. And then when we went to, to, to one or to 205, he also looked pretty uh, pretty outmatched. Baudo yeah, for sure. versus why, why didn't Baudo is, is, is the fight. I need to know. I need to know who yeah, wins but, that one. Why wouldn't Baudo drop down to 205? I mean, he's fought at 205 in the, in the past. He's mm-hmm. not exactly the biggest heavyweight going. They say that he's... You know, he's been a training partner of both Francis Ngannou and Surreal Gawing at various times, but it's like he'd be a middleweight compared to those guys. Like, he's way far out of his element. And yeah, I agree, man. They brought him in. So when they brought him in to fight Todd Stout TKO, he was coming off his win in Japan over a Yuto Nagajima, who's 0-2. And that was a that's a repetitive theme of what he was doing in Japan. He was fighting a lot of more freak show fights, where he'd fight at 205 or heavyweight because they were open weight against guys with losing records. That probably shouldn't be in there, right? Uh, he does a little judo matches, some custom rules match. He's a bit of a fan favorite, sure. When you fought Todd Stout, Todd Stout is a good size 205er, although he's a guy that routinely weighs in at about 2'3", 2'2". You know, he's one, I wouldn't say he's the biggest 205er going. But Todd Stout is a striker. The guy loves to strike. He likes to get in your face. He loves to mix it up. He trains out of a boxing gym, you know, under Ryan Grant, one of the uh, legendary Grant brothers. It's like he he is a striker by nature. If you've ever met him, if you've ever trained with him, if you've ever talked to him, like grappling is not his thing. In fact, the guys that train with him are like, dude, just take him down. Like, why, why would you want to stand with him? Just take him down. This was the first and only time in his career that he decided he would try to grapple. And my God, did he look like a million bucks out grappling Alan Bodo. He's never submitted an opponent in his entire career. He's never had any type of success in grappling his career. Every single one of Todd Stout's pro losses are attributed to his lack of grappling. And yet he styled on Bodo, took his back, choked him out with a rear naked choke. Turns out he was high the entire time. And uh, Quebec decides to stick it to him by not giving him a no contest, but by giving the win to Alan Bodo. Does that make any sense to most people? No, it absolutely doesn't make sense to most people. The other thing that kind of... um, Bugs me is that you, you win you win this fight over it's a DQ right uh, it should have never happened you were soundly outclassed you were soundly defeated and then he takes sixteen months off before debuting against Tom Aspinall so it's like there's no way in hell he was going to beat Tom Aspinall and then again so Tom Aspinall is a former pro boxer he's a guy that has sparred with Tyson Fury 
He's a guy that has worked a lot of stand-up with Darren Till, you know, same camp, Cowabomb, and over in, in, the, in the UK. He is a bonafide striker. He can grapple a little bit, as you saw, I guess, against Arm Jarolovsky, no hooker, naked choke. But again, it was just a fight with Bodo. Like, his ability to just move to mount so easily. It's like it didn't look like Bodo had a clue what he was doing. And now it's possible that he's been working on it, but, like, working on it with who? You know, he's in a relatively smaller gym in France, by far the best gym in France. You know, he's got very excellent coaching staff and some good training partners, but his ground game's not making any type of real improvements. And the thing with Rodrigo Nascimento is that he's a big boy. He's a BJJ black belt. And he's out of American top team. They're going to have him ready to go out there and do the damn thing. His fight on contender series against uh, Michael Martinak looks solid, gets the fight to the ground, first round submission. Dante Mays looks solid, gets the fight down, second round, Rene choke. It looks like his cardio is okay. It looks like his you know, he's a work in progress, but the BJJ is good. The submissions are good. And once he gets you on the ground, that's when you're going to have your biggest trouble. If he decides to stand with Alan Bodo, yeah, maybe he gets could caught. We saw him get caught against, yeah, it could give him problems. But one, being in an ATT, they're not going to advise that. Two, coming off your first knockout loss to a, a legitimate guy in Chris Dokus, mm-hmm. you're probably just going to go back to what you do best. Get a hold of this guy peel him to the ground. The second it hits the ground, expect him to move straight to mount, and then Bodo's got an option. Stay in mount and lose his fight in the next minute and a half or give up my back and lose the next the fight in the next 30 seconds. I think he'll give up his back and get rear naked choked, but all the same, Nassimeno should buzzsaw right through him. As far as the three-to-one favorites on this card, like he's a heavyweight. He just got knocked down in 45 seconds, but he feels a lot safer than some of the other ones on here. So I'll, I'll go with Rodrigo Nassimeno to get back in the win column. All right, so here's what I got on the card this week, Cody. Makachev, D-Rod, Parlay pays minus one or minus 159. I got Vieira sub minus 105. Vieira sub round one plus 225. Lamas inside the distance plus 125. Lamas by KO plus 175. Figueredo inside the distance plus 125. Figueredo Gordon under two and a half rounds minus 125. And Nascimento by sub. I'm on the lookout for plus money on that one. Um, I think it's kind of a little bit more of a scattershot type of card. Find some props that you like and hope to hit because exactly. a lot of these money exactly. lines a lot of these money lines are definitely i like the winners on the certain sides but the money lines are are keeping me away from it so that's where i'm at what about you what's the hit us with the prp yeah I'll hit you with the prp look for props later on in the week but i agree i think this is very much a, a card that you attack with a couple nice plays that you like and you attack it probably from a prop or a straight up standpoint straight money line not good enough value parlays very dangerous so props seem like to be the best way to go at this one however the prp because we're going to hit one of these eventually islam Akachev. i guess misha tate i really don't like that matus gamrot you know what i'm gonna go with dustin stolfus watch for that to change as far as the tweets come out on saturday but as of right now i'm gonna take dustin stolfus and he's gonna be dog number one gabriel benitez daniel rodriguez amanda lemos uh sergey morozov dog number two miles john francisco figueredo and Rodrigo Nascimento. Only 11 fights as of right now. The UFC might add something later on in the week, but we're going to go with nine favorites, two underdogs. And again, we're going to try to limit the action on some of those big guys. So that's the best that we can do for now. I haven't really felt like I was doing good this show. Like it didn't feel like last week we were having fun. Most shows were having fun. We're excited. Maybe this is the hangover. Maybe this is, I just don't love a whole lot of these spots. Maybe it's that I've had to take a massive pee from like five minutes after I did that shoey, dude. I just, I've been literally dying ever since then, but Regardless, hopefully you enjoyed the show the best that you could. And if the picks come through, then I'll always make it a lot more enjoyable. So if you have any questions, hit me up on Twitter, uh, at CJ Saftik. And uh, yeah, we'll get through this one. You're great, Cody. You're great. Oh, I'll, I'll Stop also, being so hard on yourself. Pat? 
Yeah, so remember to tune in Sundays on Mayo Media Network. Subscribe to Mayo Media Network, by the way. Thanks. Uh, Cody, recaps, right? Yeah, yeah, hells yeah. So actually, that's two things that I'll bring up quick and then take off. So yeah, recaps. I mean, we're on uh, Mayo Media Network. Last week, we were just a little bit slow getting it out because some like technical difficulties type thing, but we've got it figured out this week. So hopefully it'll be out by like 10 or 11 on the Sunday and catch that up again, another sh- a show sponsored by drafting Sportsbook. So any support always appreciated. And then last but not least a bit of sad news actually. So, uh, well, good news and bad news potentially. So, uh, my horse with me, roll Lily lover. Uh, she raced on Sunday, Georgian downs. She finished six. That's not the problem. She got claimed, right? So she's in these races, where you can buy any horse out of the race for a fixed claim price. Now I bought Lily. She was, she cost me $9,000. She made $13,000 in a couple months. The government also gave me three grand over three months span during COVID. Cause we couldn't race. So it was like government relief. So, so I did good on her. And then she got claimed on Sunday by this fucking guy, Richard Moreau for 22,500. Right. So I get tax on that as well. All in all, it's about twenty five thousand dollars. I can't be upset, but I, I did I did like the horse. That's why that's why your energy level was different this week. You're you're sad uh, about yeah, you're, you're sad about Lily. I was bummed. Yeah, you know, the, my dad told me like, you know, the first horse he ever lost, he cried about it. You know, he's young, he needs the money. He sells it for eighteen thousand, and then he said after that, like, I'm never never gonna get upset again. And so the first horse I ever had, his name's Conflict Diamond. We had with Gabe. Like that was the first horse I really kind of did every day. And he didn't have a particularly good racing career. And I was upset when I lost him. The second horse I had, his name is Barney Google. Oh my God, he did nothing. He's no effort. Beautiful. Such a beautiful horse. Just did not want to do it. And unfortunately, you can't force these things to race, man. People say it's cruel. No, they either have the competitive edge. They either want to do it or they will just curl up. In Barney's case, he's a beautiful animal, but uh, he did not want to race. And I got Lily. And again, she's a 9,000 purchase. She had heart, man. She had grit. She had determination. She wanted to do it. She enjoyed what she was doing. And I had a lot of fun with her, right? So I was definitely bummed out, but I understand it is a business. I could go back and buy that horse right back next Sunday. But in my heart of heart, I know she's not worth 22.5. So that's, that's, that's the thing. Like I got good money for her. And so what I'm going to do now is I got 22 plus the taxes on it. It was about $3,000. So I'm going to take that 25. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it right now. I don't want to do it next month, but I'd like to start up this fractional ownership, get some people that are that are interested, maybe sell some 1%. I'll put it my own 25 up. No problem there. Go get ourselves a nice conditioned horse. Doesn't race claiming ranks. Lily was racing for, for $6,000, $7,000 a week. You know, we get a good conditioned horse that's racing for 10, 12, 15,000, make it worth everybody's wild. But uh, so, you know, don't hit me up on Twitter. asking me how Lily is because it's a sore spot. But also, if you're noticing I'm not giving updates on her, that's why. So uh, it, it, it is sad, but what can you do, right? There's uh, there's always another horse out there. I wish her nothing but the best. The guy that claimed her is actually the seven-time Canadian trainer of the year. So, like, he, he's the man. The problem that upsets me is I had two horses. Lily was one of them. He has 107 horses. Lily's 108 now. Like, what did, what did he need my pony for, right? But anyways, I'm not upset, Paul. Just wanted to throw. Sounds that like out you're there, upset. So. Sounds like you're upset. <laughs> I mean, what would the name of this horse be? If it's mostly, if you're, you know, if you're targeting, not targeting, targeting is not the right word, but if you're, you know, putting the olive branch out to pe- uh, fans of the Dogger Pass podcast. I, I mean, maybe the horse needs some sort of draw in to uh, to our show here. I don't well, know. here's the thing. If you want to get in on Cody's 
course, reach out to him on Twitter at CJ Saptic. Here's the thing. What were you going to say? Yeah, you'd have to buy a baby horse that is unnamed, straight, you know, zero years old. A horse can only legally race at two, right? If you bought a horse at one, you could name him whatever you want, and he hasn't raced yet. Mm. But nobody, nobody's going to want to buy a 1% of a horse that it's like, this horse will hopefully race 10 months from now. No, they want action right now, right? Yeah. So that's what we're going to go do. We're going to go get a five-year-old, four, five, six-year-old horse, something that's aged something that's conditioned, you know, maybe give 40000 for them but something that's going to go out there and race week to week and be tough, make our money back, have a hell of a thrill doing it, and then hopefully build this into something. If we could get 10 more roll lilies, Woodmere roll lilies, we'd be rich, but it's hard to find a horse that you can get for nine and then flip, make 13, money back, 3,000 in my pocket, and then flip her for 22 a month later. Like, that's a lot rare. If we could do that again, great, we would do that, but I don't want people to buy in on this horse and then same thing. You fall in love with the horse, you you watch it race three weeks in a row, she wins three weeks, and then I'm not mad at Marone. Do I seem like I'm sound mad at him? It sounds like you're mad at him. I'm not mad. Life goes on. He's got he's on. rent-free living in your head right <laughs> Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. For sure, yeah. He's he's charging me 22.5 to live in my head. Um, yeah, if you're, yeah, if you're, anyways, so if you're questioning, I'll, I'll just add this in too. Cody's dad is like a legit Hall of Famer in carriage racing here in Canada. So if you're questioning like whether they know what they're looking for when it comes to horses, clearly they do. So you'd be in good hands if you got in on the ground floor. And it sounds like it would be a lot of fun. And that's why I said I'm not looking to buy a horse tomorrow and I'm not looking to buy a horse next month because people said the same thing. Like, don't worry, kid, just go claim another one. If you want to claim it back, claim it back. But they all recognize, like, listen, you, this is a good bit of business. Don't buy the horse back. But it was like, go go buy yourself something else. Go buy yourself something better. I don't want to force it. I don't want to just need a horse, got a horse. Hey, guys, you got bought 1% ownership on a horse, got a horse. We're going to get a good horse. We're going to get something that's going to kick some ass. We're going to get something so that we can dunk on Rashard Moreau in the future. <laughs> but I'm not mad. Yeah, I'm not mad. mad at all, no. <laughs> Anyways, no, it's all, 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 all good times. Uh, hopefully he has as much fun with her as I did. And I'll definitely be watching her and cheering her on. Just unfortunately, not my horse anymore. So that's it for this week. And uh, yeah, hopefully let's crush some parlays and go get ourselves another one. All right. That is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For Cody Safdick and Pat Mayo on the sticks, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.